Hello and welcome to Inside Out episode 51. Today's episode is proudly supported by Mount Elephant, the superheroes in plant-based food. Today's guest is the beautiful Ashley, who you'll likely already know from Instagram as Warrior Women Wellness. Ashley is a nutrition, movement, and mindset coach and is on a mission to connect women to their inner warrior. In her coaching, she's created individualized programming by combining knowledge and wisdom together to empower women to design their own diet template that works for them and their own lifestyle to sustain lifetime results. She provides the science and wisdom in her online coaching programs whilst breaking old patterns and guiding you to reconnect with yourself and find your inner warrior. Ashley is an absolute powerhouse of knowledge and in this conversation today we discuss diet culture in the fitness industry, body image, what is health, reconnecting with our body, rebuilding our relationship with ourselves, nutrition mindset, becoming a warrior in wellness and so much more. If you enjoy this episode, I would love if you can take the time to leave a quick written review on the podcast app. This will really support my podcast to support more women on their well-being journey. I am so excited for you to hear today's episode. So without further ado, let's dive in. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me today and coming on the podcast. I am so wrapped to have you on here. How are you? Very, very good. No complaints. Life is uh, pretty sweet these days. <laughs> That's so, so good. Um, look, I wanted to kickstart today's episode with just talking a little bit about you and your life. So can you share mm-hmm. a little bit with us who you are, where you're from and what brought you to here? Yeah, so um, I have been in the health and nutrition space and fitness space for about 10 years now. Um, started as personal trainer, as many do. Um, and then now I progress more into, um, you know, a nutrition and mindset coach. Um, so I am 35 and I have recently, well, almost a year ago now, moved to Byron Bay. It was always in my big vision of moving to paradise and setting up a life where I am um, and I kind of driven by my core um, and my core values, which is like freedom uh, and connection. So where, yeah, yeah. So those are just like such a beautiful place um, for that. Like I've, I work all online now. So um, obviously running my own kind of day, uh, but yeah, the community that I've tapped into up here has just been so lovely and so, so healing. So yeah, it's nice to live in paradise. Can't complain about that. I bet it is. That is mm-hmm. my end goal, Byron. I think that's so many people's end goals. Um, yeah. But yeah, my I, I resonate with you about your core values because mine are freedom and connection. And I've actually recently been talking to a couple of girlfriends just about how with our core values, quite mm-hmm. often we want, we ha- we feel like we're not uh, fulfilling those or we're, we're not satisfied or successful in our day because we're not living in alignment of those core values. But that's mm-hmm. part of the scale of this the, the I guess the epitome of freedom and the epitome of connection that we're looking for and fighting for instead of just really and something that I'm working on doing in, in being present and mm-hmm. noticing how they exist in my everyday life now and how yeah. I can have that freedom in my everyday and I do have that connection in my everyday I've just got to look for it a little closer mm-hmm. so I love that you've mentioned that there yeah <laughs> now one of your girls actually in your coaching group connected us which I love I used to train with her I mentioned before we hit record a little while ago and I know that she's a listener on the podcast and she knows that I've been on a bit of a healing journey with my relationship with my body and food and it is a conversation that I am really passionate about I have so many you know old teachings and breaking old patterns that I'm, I'm working on like I know that that's something that you are passionate on doing as well and teaching mm. so Really looking forward to learning more about you and your mission and just sharing my own experiences because I feel like 
anyone that's been on a diet or, you know, been in the fitness industry is coming out the other side of it now and noticing how many poor habits we we have had in the past. Um, but just taking it back a little, I know mm-hmm. you've undergone a healing journey yourself and you have battled with crippling body dysmorphia and disordered eating. Mm-hmm. For those that don't know what that is, firstly, can you share what that is? And then can you tell us a little bit about that journey yourself? Mm, yeah, so body dysmorphia is actually um, a mental illness. It doesn't kind of get that level of attention and respect as many other mental illnesses, but it's so common. And basically it is like a, an obsession or fixation on physical flaws, um, whether they be, um, you know, just minor or just completely perceived or made up. Um, it generally manifests in like obsessive behaviors around trying to fix or eliminate. So women will go through things like surgeries or crazy diets and, um, you know, all these, you know, all these like really extreme measures to try and I guess fix Uh, what they perceive as being wrong with their bodies. Um, So, yeah, body dysmorphia is at the the root of eating disorders, most eating disorders, some level of it anyway. Um, But disordered eating, um, you can have disordered eating without having body dysmorphia. So they, they are like... Yeah, they're not. They are mutually exclusive kind of things. Like they do, they're not. But I mean, they can exist without each other. So, um, disordered eating is basically, um, yeah, just like a an obsessive uh, mindset or anxiety around food, food choices, and that can also link into body weight and body shape as well. But again, some disordered eating is not even linked to body shape. It can be just um, control. It can be um, massive fears around um, like health and uh, clean eating, which may not even be linked to body weight. So yeah, there's like this huge broad spectrum of disordered eating being on one end, which is kind of like having a certain level of food anxiety and engaging in restrictive behaviors to eating disorders, which is all the way up the other end. Um, So anyone can sit on that kind of that like wavelength. And I've moved up and down that scale like many, many times in my life. Um, Yeah, two extreme eating disorders like bulimia and um, anorexia. So I was really, really, really sick in my teens. Um, And then, you know, kind of through my fitness journey, thought that I was healing, but actually uh, went into a space called orthorexia, which is like obsessively clean eating. Um, So for me, that just seemed normal. And a lot of people in the fitness industry will kind of behave that way, but it is an eating disorder, a classified eating disorder. Um, Then all the way to just like simply avoiding certain social scenarios because I didn't know how I'd feel around the food and everything like that. This episode is proudly supported by Mount Elephant, superheroes in plant-based food. Mount Elephant use naturally nutritious ingredients such as hemp to create delicious food that nourishes your senses and soul. Hemp, known as the superhero of the superfoods, is a great source of plant-based protein and can help reduce inflammation in our bodies. Shop Mount Elephant's baking mixes and hemp and oat milk in Coles and Woolworths today or online at www.mountelephant.com.au. So even those kind of minor things is disordered eating. Um, But I guess people don't really recognise sometimes their behaviours as being disordered. They become so normalised. Absolutely. And it's so interesting how our relationship with food and our bodies, like we know we've learned, I think it's quite prevalent in society that we all as women understand that we have learned to have shame surrounding our body image and and judgment on our body image as women from a really Mm. young girls. And there's usually, you know, you can usually think of the first time that you were told that you were fat or that you were ugly. Everyone's got that little memory, that niggling Mm -hmm. memory. But when did it like, you know, to reflect on when it started for having a poor relationship with food, 
And mm. what, what meal time were you made to sit there and force fed until you finish your meal? I know that my mom put a belt strap around my chair so that I'd finish my dinner. That is not normal. And we wouldn't do that. Yeah. Today, but it, it, I know that didn't, that didn't affect my relationship with food. It was binge mm. eating and, and, you know, my poor section of myself that really impacted my relationship. Mm. With food. So it's interesting how, you know, as, as we're all developing and learning these behaviors, but they definitely started when we were really, really young. And yeah. Yeah. And it's in, and I love that there are more women like yourself in this industry, in this fitness industry that are finally looking at it from this view and are able to see the mm. lens of we need to fix this. It's not normal. It's, mm. it's a mental illness. It's not, it's not health. It's not what health looks like. Yeah. No, it's not. Absolutely. And um, I think you touched on a really important point there is like a lot of the time, we didn't even realize when we were being imprinted with this. Like mine was very obvious. I was a gymnast growing up. So my body was like how I gained love and respect was performance and perfection. So obviously this like deeply ingrained perfection complex very, very early. Um, but even like modeling, like watching my mother diet, she'd eat a different dinner than us. And she would comment on her body at the, the beach saying that, you know, green peas are going to come and scoop her off the shore and ha ha ha. And like all these little things that we're absorbing, um, you know, special K like diet cereals in the house. Like we're just being constantly flooded since we were so young with all these messaging around dieting and around controlling our body weight and, um, um, yeah, we don't realize how much, like how thick that layering is and how deep that conditioning is um, until, you know, you hit your thirties and you're like, why the fuck do I still do this? Why do I still feel like this? Why am I still obsessing? Like, and it just draws so much energy away from the things that really matter. Um, and the things that actually, you know, nourish our souls and make us happy. It's just, yeah, it's really sad. It steals people's lives, this obsession and it's yeah. Preoccupation with food and body. Mm, my mum had a magnet on the fridge that said nothing tastes as good as thin feels. Like Jennifer Anderson or someone on the fridge. Yeah. My, auntie, my auntie still has someone in the cupboard that she cuts out from a magazine and puts it in the cupboard. Now my auntie's like ridiculously thin. Like, mm -hmm. so it's, yeah, it's so much that you need to just break down and unlearn. And it was imprinted from such a really young, young age. Um, can you recall, I suppose, the pivotal moment where you were like, this just isn't for me anymore. I don't want to feel this way. This is wrong. And I want to. Oh God. I, I think there were so many. And that was the hard thing is like, because my belief systems were so deep because I literally rooted from when I was like a, a, a child about my body being my, my worth. Um, so I, there's so many times when I tried to recover and I would relapse, like my recovery efforts were felt endless, endless, endless. Um, I know I, I kind of, even when I was deeply engaged in a lot of these behaviors, I still didn't want to fucking be there. Like it was just really hard for me to separate from it. I guess the biggest, biggest kind of breaking point for me, well, I guess uh, breakthrough point, sorry, was, um, uh, yeah, I don't, I think I'd kind of, I'd competed. So I did, I did like a bodybuilding competition. This was in the, the phase where I was con like convinced myself that I wasn't disordered and I wasn't orthorexic and everything was fine because it was all fitness related. I was no longer trying to from one end of the scale to the other end, right? Oh, yeah. That's like fitness competitions is just another way of like competitive dieting. It's just like a little bit of muscle, like congratulations, you can starve yourself for 12 weeks. Like, 
Um, but I remember I thought that I was kind of in a good place and then I remember coming out off the back of the end of the competition and realising that I just triggered everything that I'd spent, you know, a good part of like five, six, seven years healing um, because I was terrified to gain weight. Uh, off the back of the competition, I was like 52 kilos. I weigh 67 or something now. So I was tiny. Um, and then it took me another two years of being stuck in that space of that relapse where I was like, wow, I don't want to spend another six, seven years doing this. So I actually went to South America and did a lot of plant medicine. So I went to an ayahuasca retreat um, in the jungle. I'm not sure if you know much about plant medicine or ayahuasca. It's basically like a, a psychedelic which links you to your, your subconscious and I guess your inner soul. Um, and I had just one of those moments over there in an experience where I um, I had this um I could see how I'd been treating my body my whole life and the image was like it's quite weird it was like my body was this like huge big like elephant um which sounds very strange but like a beautiful stoic strong elephant and I had just been whipping it and it had just been like silently walking and walking walking never broken down but just like I'd been torturing this thing for so long and it never let me down it was still with me and it was still moving and it was still carrying me through the world but it was like dead eyes like crying on the inside and I just it was a really weird metaphor um, to experience, but I was like, oh my gosh, like at what point is this just going to give up on me and I'm going to have to suffer like the consequences of being so horrible to myself. And so then when I came back, I, um, I started, I guess, the whole journey of trying to, of moving myself away from um, calorie counting and restrictive diet and orthorexia to what I do now, which is um, I went all the way in the other end, which is like the intuitive eating method. And now I sit, what I do is something called an informed eating method, which I'm sure Paige maybe have told, has told you about. Um, so transitioning from dieting, counting calories, like constantly focusing on food to like learning to trust my body and learning to connect into my body was like a terrifying journey. And like I did gain quite a bit of weight. Well, not, not really quite a bit, probably not by normal person standards, but in my head it was really hard probably about eight kilos or so um but it was the best thing that ever happened to me it like taught me to completely separate from this image that I had of myself that I had to be um and I learned that I didn't lose any friends my partner still loved me to death like I still had respect I still like you know and I felt great because I finally was like eating enough food so actually gaining weight was the most healing thing that has ever happened to me because it helped me create that separation. And then once I learned to regulate my appetite, once I learned to listen to my body, I actually naturally just go back to kind of where I am now, which is like athletic. I don't, I don't count calories ever. I don't think I have in like five or six years, maybe I train, you know, to a, to a level that I feel is comfortable for my body and that I love. Um, you know, I eat well 80, 90% of the time and then I treat myself whenever I feel like it's necessary or I feel like it. It's, there's no guilt or shame. But it took me to kind of go from the extreme to almost the other extreme and then regulate myself back to the point where now it's just like I just live. I don't really think about it too much. <laughs> about integrating things like alcohol into your lifestyle. So for me, my that's probably my poorest habit is, you know, on a Friday night, when my kids go to bed, I want a glass of wine and, and by glass, I mean bottle. So then I feel the next day, like I'm not hung over and I don't like go and have macros or anything, but the next day I feel like I've just wasted because mm. all these, you know, and this is old teacher again, calories in a bottle of wine, how many bloody calories in there? I've just wrecked the whole weekend. And it's that yeah. I'm still stuck in that. Like I, I, I can acknowledge it and I know it's there. Yeah. 
this is really shitty that I'm thinking about the bottle of wine I drank last night. Why am I worried about it today? Is today like mm. I nourish my body today, but it's really hard to break that pattern. What strategies, I suppose, did you have in place to break yeah. those patterns? Um, so first and foremost, I guess, um, strong connection to core values is big for me. So like we spoke about this earlier. Um, so when I'm making a decision based on like, do I want to go and have a drink tonight or do I want to go to dinner and just like not have alcohol? Like I'm like, what's the most loving choice right now? Sometimes the loving choice is to have a drink, of, have a glass of wine. Sometimes the loving choice is to say no. And it will come back to like, what feels most aligned for me at the moment? Is it being social and engaging and letting go? Or is it kind of like I've had a hard week, I know I need to have a good night's sleep and I know I need to, I want to wake up tomorrow and do this. And I make a decision based on checking in with myself. Um, so I just like always staying in alignment, like what's the most aligned choice right now? Like, and not being influenced by anyone else around me. But I think what's really important as well is to have um, an adequate self-care self toolkit because um, when we use food and alcohol, it's to regulate nervous system. Like the way, what you were describing then is like you're stressed, you need something to regulate your nervous system. And like we use these things that give us like dopamine and serotonin, but also a depressant like alcohol will help you calm down a little bit. So having a, a rounded self-care toolkit is going to enable you to like look at all the options and then make a conscious choice. So this is something that I teach in my programs. It's a connection to the four bodies. Um, which is the physical body, the mental body, the spiritual body, and the emotional body. And um, having self-care practices for all these um, different bodies. So you'll find that you won't get to the point where you need alcohol to calm down because there is constant self-care practices integrated throughout the week and throughout your days that continue to keep your nervous system regulated and continue to stay connected to yourself. So you don't need alcohol to numb out. You don't need food to numb out. You're not using these things as suppression strategies because mm. that's essentially what they are. It's like, wanting to not feel an emotion or wanting to avoid feeling an emotion or wanting to just shut your body down a bit um, to help you relax. So, yeah, I have, um, I teach women to do this in my program, but, yeah, I've got a lot of, like, self-care practices that I make sure that when I'm choosing to have a drink, it's not because I need it for something. It's because, like, feels feels aligned. It feels good. It's a, it's a loving choice. Yeah, I think that's a really, really um, perhaps a little mantra or affirmation that you could put on a post-it note and put around the house on the mirror, on your desk, you know, um, am I making an aligned choice right now or where can I come, can I come from a place of love? Mm -hmm. I think I can actually even do that because that would just go in that thought process. It allows you to stop, be present, reflect and move, yeah. make an informed choice based on what you really, really want to do that, that, you know, I guess support your future self as well. Yeah. Because, you know, in those minutes or moments when, you know, example, you have or I have a chaotic day, it's nuts, and then I finally get two babies to sleep at 7.30, I want to go to bed too, but I'm like, okay, I just need to chill for a mm -hmm. minute. Whew, I could make a cup of tea. I could go and read my book. I could go and meditate, but instead I'm like, I'm yeah. going to bottle of wine. So, yeah. yeah, just removing, I guess, the uh, old addiction or addictive behaviors as well yeah. like binging when I was younger it was binging on food which then you know would create a poor relationship with myself the next day and then I would feel guilty and I would go on that vicious cycle but as an adult it's remove, remove food adult alcohol basically and that's mm -hmm. what we do now as adults so that's really cool that you have those practices mm -hmm. you with the four bodies because when we think about self-care too like sometimes self-care is just you know we, we think of it as, I, I guess, simplistic terms like self-care is reading a book in bed with a cup of tea. That's looking mm -hmm. after yourself. But noticing that there's four elements to that, that's really cool. 
Yeah, self-care is also screaming into a pillow. Self-care is like grounding in nature. Self-care is setting boundaries with people. Like there's all these different ways that we need to be like implementing self-care like all the time, not just when we get to the point where like, oh, fuck, I need a bubble bath right now and a glass of wine. <laughs> Too late by that point. Like you've got to be constantly doing it all day, every day to ensure that you're not getting to those points where you're making poor choices because you want the most potent version of that. You know, wine will just like stuck you out a little bit, you know, but like, you don't want to get to that point. It's got to be a way to regulate consistently throughout the day and throughout the week. So when you do go to go, well, do I want to wine? It's like, fuck yeah, that would feel nice. Like that's coming from a place of like, you know, there's no need or it's, yeah, it's a loving choice, not a choice out of necessity or or to try and calm down or numb. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Just digressing a little bit to your work, which I'm really looking forward to talking about. So yeah. the name Warrior Woman Wellness, such strong. Mm in this brand identity can you share a little bit of backstory what led you to creating such a fierce brand to start with yeah well I actually just rebranded at the start of the year my um, old brand was called Chicks Who Lift which is obviously very much around resistance training um, and now I still do a lot of the training stuff but I'm focused more on um, mindset and nutrition so I knew I needed to rebrand um, but I've been working a lot with feminine archetypes recently um my Byron kind of family were all a little bit woo. There's a lot of coaches, a lot of like holistic coaches, mindset coaches, like feminine embodiment coaches. So we've all, we're all exposed to all these, you know, different concepts and methodologies. So yeah. So um, feminine archetypes is something I've been really, really into. Um, So the main ones are like mother, lover, priestess and warrior. So an archetype is, is I guess a, a, a universal DNA blueprint that we every woman has these four archetypes inside them and we we kind of step into these roles at different times throughout our day throughout our week in different scenarios um, but we all have like a core archetype which we wear most of the time um, so obviously if you're a mum sometimes it could be the mother if you're in a business it can be you step into your warrior when you go priestess is she's like a very spiritual kind of connected woman and then the lover is the playful sexual kind of uh, flirty one um so when I was, uh, I was just reading about archetypes and I actually had a dream. Like I, I make lots of decisions based off my dreams. Um, <laughs> some people think it's a bit nuts, but I've never gone wrong. Um, so I had a dream that I was, because uh, I'm the warrior one is by far my strongest archetype. Um, and when I connected into what that the warrior woman archetype is, she's a leader, she's resilient, she's strong, she's resourceful. Um, she's, yeah, she, she carries the, the tribe, you know what I mean? She looks after everyone, but she's also looks after herself. She's very, very strong. And so when I was uh, connecting into this, um, I was thinking this is what I bring to the women that I work with is that sense of like taking back their personal power, their sense of resilience, their sense of inner strength and the sense of being able to provide for themselves with all their needs. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where I came up with it is like this is what I am here to activate in, in the women that come into my circle and that I work with is, yeah, that inner warrior woman. It's so cool. It's a great mm-hmm. brand name and it certainly would make a lot of women feel more aligned with themselves as well, I suppose, just with the mm-hmm. name and then, you know, stepping into your programs, which we'll talk about now. So you support and transform hundreds of women in your Nourish, Conquer and Thrive program. Can you share what this program is all about and maybe give us a bit of a peek into some of the practice that, practices that you teach? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's a community-based uh, program, meaning that it's small groups of women um, and basically it's an eight-week container. Uh, it's very education-based. So this was birthed from um, basically the understanding that 
there was a lot of women coming to me with a similar challenge um, and they there was a lot of education that needed to take place and there's like a very similar process to go through that I would walk most women through um, in order to transition from where they are now to where they want to be. So the common challenge was um, I was attracting a lot of clients who were obviously picking up on my message and my journey. They were, like we spoke about, indoctrinated into the fitness industry um, with counting calories and macros and, you know, training at a certain intensity, which was great and served them to a certain point. But then obviously it started to become problematic and it was creating a lot of anxiety. Um, they didn't know how to move away from it. Um, so it's almost like they, yeah, they learned what they needed to learn, but they didn't know how to then adapt it in a way that was sustainable. And there was just, yeah, a lot of obsession and anxiety and disordered eating that was starting to kind of come up. So through, um, through the kind of methods, um, we spoke a bit about my education before we hit, uh, hit record. Um, so I've got a really diverse education background when it comes to nutrition. I've done like precision nutrition and um, clean health, all of their certs, which is like three or four certs. I've done the Institute for the Integration, Integrative Nutrition, and now I'm um, doing uh, a cert through the Institute for the Psychology of Eating. So there's a lot there. And I came up with like this method that basically helps women transition from a diet mindset, um, you know, calorie macro, macro counting and obsessing over food, obsessing over body, all the way through to um, an informed eating method, which is a beautiful cross-section between intuitive eating and externally controlled eating. So basically... The idea is that you're applying the foundational nutritional knowledge and science as we can't throw that out um, with internal body wisdom. So combining knowledge and wisdom together to empower women to design their own diet template that works for them and their body and their lifestyle, something that's sustainable in the long term. Um, because I work with active women, so I can't discount the fact that there are requirements that these women need to hit and a lot of the time when you've been chronically dieting you don't have an intuitive sense of hunger and fullness or what you need um, so I, I wanted to make sure that I was applying the the science with the wisdom to create this informed eating method which is all about making empowered choices around food that serve your core values that also serve your higher self um, and they're all about, um, you know, coming from a place of love and self-respect as opposed to deprivation and control and self-rejection. So that's basically um, the, the format of it. So lots of nutrition skill development, learning how to eat again, like learning how to actually nourish ourselves. Um, because when you, when you do all this cal um, calorie and macro counting, you're externalizing that knowledge and wisdom. You're having an app tell you or your coach tell you what to eat. Um, so it's all about reconnecting with self as well to guide you. Um, so lots of nutrition stuff, but we also go deep, deep, deep on the psychological and emotional drivers of eating behavior um, because that is, I guess, the most fundamental piece and the most important thing. You can try and change yourself from a behavioral level, what you put in your mouth and how you move, but unless you're dealing with the, the belief systems and the emotions that drive those, then you will always cycle back to your old behaviors because you need to work a little bit of a, a deeper level um, than just behavioural. You need to go into the beliefs and the and the values and the emotions as well. So, yeah, very diverse range of uh, topics that we cover throughout the program. Yeah, and would you have any tips, I suppose, like to teach children or mm. teens sort of these practices without, you know, drilling it into them like you tell, you, you're forcing them to eat and believe a certain way, like, what would, what would you encourage? Um, I think 
especially I think around children, um, I'm not, I don't really work with children. So um, I don't know, I can't give too much advice there, but I think with young teens and I think with especially girls, when they're getting to that place um, where they're becoming more body conscious and they, they're starting to see all this diet kind of rhetoric, giving them foundational understanding of, of nutrition, of healthy nutrition, like protein, carbs and fats and why they're important. Not, no numbers, nothing like that. Um, and then helping them understand how to nourish adequately, like how to eat enough. The most funny, um, the most fundamental tool that I teach people, and it's so basic, but so impactful, is um, checking in with their hunger and fullness. Um, so eating, there's a there's a thing called the hunger and fullness scale. I've got like a post on my Instagram about it. You can find it on the internet. Basically, rating um, hunger as a one and it's like extreme hunger as a one, and extreme fullness as a ten. And eating only when you're at a three, so comfortably hungry and finishing always when you're at a seven, which is comfortably satisfied. And if you can essentially connect into your body and say, do I physically need food right now? Um, am I comfortably hungry? Yep, I'm going to eat. And then checking in with your body to make sure that you're not going to overfeeding as well. Um, this way you regulate appetite. So you're never in extreme hunger, which leads to overeating. And you're never in extreme fullness, which then leads to guilt and restriction. So if you can just like indoctrinate that body wisdom of like checking in with the body to see if I'm hungry. And if it's a yes, then eat. If it's a no, maybe I'll just wait a little bit until I'm feeling comfortably hungry. Um, because when, when you eat, when you're not actually hungry, you also bypass a lot of the pleasure and satisfaction that you get from food. So you might be eating the calories, but you're not actually deriving much pleasure. Um, and same thing when you overeat as well, you obviously, even if it was pleasurable, you've now put yourself into a state of displeasure, um, which also uh, breeds a bad relationship with food as well. So it's a, really basic tool and the most most fundamental one when it comes to just maintaining healthy body weight essentially if you're not over overeating all the time um because you're very very associated with the sensations of fullness uh then you know the chances of actually uh, like developing um an overeating i guess pattern are very low and if you're not allowing yourself to get super super hungry all the time the chances of binge eating or emotional eating are also kind of like leveled out a little bit so it's just such a basic tool and something that i would definitely be teaching everyone is just connecting hunger and fullness because you'll notice kids intuitively they're the best intuitive eaters ever they're fin they're done when they're done like when they stop don't want to eat anymore they they will tell you they don't want to eat anymore but we oh. kind of force them sometimes yeah so i've got a one-year-old eight and a half year old a nine-year-old and 11 year old stepdaughters are the two older ones and i notice uh, with the two older girls when they were a little bit younger and like my son's now two and a half no matter what it is lollies cake whatever crap he's eating when he is full he is full no mm. more. same with my daughter who's one um, whereas the older girls have just bypassed that now where it's yummy I'm going to keep eating it even mm. though this this this, or this and now I'm having to step in and say you've had enough have a glass of water and that's mm. an element that I wanted to mention too I really find for myself and for the, my older girls is asking how much hydration have I had today? Mm, mm. Dehydrated. Mm -hmm. you know, I think I, they had a bowl of cereal this morning and I mean, full cream milk, couple of wheat bix. And then they're like, can we have a choppy milk? I've got like this um, cacao and oat milk that I buy from Woolies. I was like, have a glass of water. You've just had like mm. milk. Like you're not, mm. you just wanted the taste in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah, just really noticing that hydration can play such an important key in feeling hungry and feeling unsatisfied and also yeah that's a great point and also there's like um mindfulness as well so uh a lot of time when we eat fast we're not actually sitting with the sensation of the food we're not gaining the pleasure from it and there's this thing a little hack called the two minute rule so when you eat something the potency of the flavor say let's use a piece of chocolate for an example um has high potency for about two minutes 
beyond two minutes, the chocolate will start to taste very bland. So if you can um, get your children to either have like a, a nice snack or something that's a bit high sugar or whatever, you know, kind of food that they like to indulge in and make it a game of like what kind of flavors can you taste? Like what sensations can you feel in your mouth? Is it crunchy? Is it soft? And get them to tune into the all the subtleties of the flavors and sit with it in their mouth for a while and break it down and connect to like smell, taste, the sound of the food, the texture in the mouth. Like this is all what mindful eating is. And then by the time two minutes is up, when you go to eat more, it doesn't have that intensity. So the drive to continue to eating is, is much like is minimized. So, but a lot of the time when we're eating this stuff, we're mindlessly shoving it into our face and we're like watching TV or we're like chatting or whatever. We're not tasting the food. And so the satisfaction level is minimized so much. Whereas if like you're super present, like you can draw two squares of chocolate out over several minutes and it's very, very satisfying. And then by the end, you're like, I actually don't need it anymore because that felt really intense. Um, so that's a, something that you can do as like a, just a practice is like create no distractions around food. Like when you're eating, you're eating, you're present, you're not on your phone, you're not in the TV, like you're actually mindfully eating and you very slowly eating, putting your knife and fork down between each mouthful, chewing until it's liquid in your mouth, which is also great for digestion, great for nutrient assimilation. Um, so mindful eating practices is also something that I like super, super heavy on in my program. Um, because again, slowing down that process and it's not only better for, um, digestion, your, yeah, your fullness signal kicks in sooner. Um, and also the pleasure sensations are higher. So therefore you're not likely to finish your meal and continue to reach for food when you're, when you're like present with it, you taste it, you experience it. It's so satisfying that you're like done. Um, but yes, yeah, when we're distracted, we get to the end of a meal and this happens to me all the time. I like look down, I'm like, shit, I've eaten that whole thing. I didn't even taste it. And then I'm like, oh, I want something else. And you know, you're back in the fridge because you, you want the pleasure as well as the calories, like fullness and satisfaction, very different things. You can be full and unsatisfied. So like tuning into the satisfaction in the food is key to to minimize like um, mindless eating, overeating, binge eating, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned just before. Please excuse my voice. It's so terrible at the moment. Um, right. but you did mention just before that you try and deter away from calories. Now we do know that you know for our our macros when we're counting macros or you know um, fats, carbs, and protein when we're training either a high intensity diet. Example: I do CrossFit four to five times a week is ideal for me. I really enjoy that high intensity, but I also enjoy strength work because I know that I get the optimum results in mm -hmm. my intensity if I'm doing strength consistently. And we know that we need a particular amount of protein in our diet. Well, mm -hmm. most do, especially if you're training that type of um, hypertrophy training and, and things like that. Now, my question is in your program, because you, you try to deter away from calorie counting and, and macros and that addictive behaviors that are associated with that, do you still talk about the, the amount of grams of, of protein, fats and carbohydrates that a woman would need in their active lifestyle? Yeah, definitely. So I give people a range of different options as to how they want to hit their minimums. They can either track initially to get an idea. I have everyone eating at maintenance, by the way, in this program, because I can't have people in a deficit trying to you know work through their emotional eating if they've also in a deficit everyone needs to be nourished so everyone's eating at um at maintenance and they can either track initially to understand what that looks like and how it feels and then we slowly move away from tracking whilst integrating these other skills like hunger and fullness mindful eating um like all the the environmental stuff so i kind of like it's like a graded thing like we kind of phase it out and phase other stuff in um if they're more confident um then they can go straight to that like it's a lot of women have been tracking for so many years they absolutely know what it looks like so i get them to either um yeah do a day of tracking take photos and then like try and reference the photos as a way to put together their meals without 
like scales or anything like that. Otherwise, really simple method, um, which is a precision nutrition method, is the hand portion method. So this much protein every single meal, a palm size, one cupped fist full of um, carbs, two big handfuls full of veggies, two thumbs full of fat. And essentially, the bigger your hands are, the bigger the human you are. So if you've got little hands, you're a little human. You've got big hands, you're a big human. It's just a general rule of thumb. Um, that's so basic and it tends to work because um, people kind of overestimate the accuracy of tracking anyway. Like it's not as accurate as people think it is. Um, they just get so locked onto it. But, yeah, that can be a really simple method for someone who really doesn't want to track because it creates so much anxiety, um, which is fine as well. So I provide some options, but there, there must be ways that people actually understand what their minimum requirements are. And then I have them set their foundational nutritional habits as in like how much protein they need to eat per day like average weight of it. So I don't really care about the difference between steak or chicken. Like it's all kind of minor, but um, like at the end of the day, those are, you know, a few grams here and there, as long as they're in a range, it's all good. Um, and same with the carbs and fats, um, just knowing roughly what it looks like and then knowing how to emulate it and knowing when to also check in with hunger and fullness. Cause some days they get to the end of the day and they would have eaten, you know, their, their minimum requirements, their requirements, and they'll be hungry. So I'm like, eat. If your body's telling you you need food, eat. The next day they might not be hungry. You're not hungry, don't eat. Like that's really normal too. Our energy requirements are so different from day to day. To try and eat the same thing every day makes no sense, especially the female body. We're so cyclical that uh, to try and eat in this rigid, um, repetitive way every day is just as bad as tracking. So um, it's about understanding your minimum requirements, what that looks like, what that feels like in your body, and then allowing for your body wisdom to come through and, and to guide you as well. So, yeah. I find for me tracking, I don't find it triggering, but maybe that's me being in denial, but because <laughs> I love structure and routine so much, I thrive when I've got a structure in place or a routine in place. And for me, knowing what I'm, what I'm doing or what I need, that really allows yeah. me to stay connected with my goals. Um, <laughs> but in saying that, I suppose that is a, a, a bit of denial for me too because also if I'm not hitting those macros, I do feel unsuccessful and mm. I do feel like I'm not going to reach my goals if I fuck up one day. So mm. there is a problem with that that I can Yeah, it's, definitely, <laughs> isn't it? it's like that's the thing about macros is like this is the problem. It's like people look at they achieve or fail. It's like pass or fail. Every day is like a pass or a fail. If you go over or under, you failed. It's like well, no, like the human metabolism doesn't work like that. So, and it does create that kind of thinking that if somebody overeats one day, then they feel like crap, like, oh, screw it. And I've ruined it. I'm just going to binge for the rest of the weekend or whatever. You know, it just creates this, yeah, like this real dichotomous attitude um, that doesn't really serve in the long term anyway. And it just disconnects you from your body. Like when you're being told what to eat from an app, as opposed to listening to yourself, you create further and further disconnection and you lose trust, you lose rapport. Absolutely. I think I need to join your program. <laughs> I think you do. I think when we finish this chat. Now, I know you're also an advocate for mindset being a really important part of the healing relationship with ourselves physically. In what way do you encourage clients to transform their mindset? Yeah. Um, so I also have an NLP certification, which I'm not sure if you know much about NLP, neuro-linguistic programming. So um, I guess the level that I like to work with is I use this model based on identity shifting. So if you can imagine a pyramid, identity is right at the top. Um, and then it's like belief systems, values and beliefs, then it's thoughts and emotions, and then it's behaviours. So 
essentially what I try and get to do is to get women to shift into a new identity and embody a new identity. Because when you take care of the identity, the identity impacts the beliefs and values, it impacts the emotions and, and thoughts, which impacts the behaviours. Too many people working on a behavioural level and without shifting the identity, if you still think that you're, um, you know, the, the fat girl in the group and you're hopeless and, like, you know, nobody loves you and you've got no value, you could lose 20 kilos. But unless you change that identity, you will cycle back to being the fat girl who nobody loves. Um, you, you'll self-destruct and you'll sabotage because you need to shift identity in order to shift uh, the behaviours in a long-term sense. So a lot, one of the questions I always ask my um, clients is, like, who is the woman you are wanting to become like what's what's her identity how does she relate to herself how does she move through the world what are the internal conversations she has um you know how does she eat how does she interact like what are her relationships like and I get them to create this almost like alternate identity and then from there we can start to map a path of like how this person operates in the world and what kind of behaviors we need to implement what kind of thoughts we need to kind of implant and start to reframe um so the first thing is connecting to the identity um, through like desired outcomes and getting people to attach emotionally to being this like version 2.0 ultimate version of themselves. I also do a lot of stuff around reframing belief systems. Um, I have a task, several tasks around how to help people identify um, in their history, in their timeline, when a belief system was formed and what kind of conditions that they placed on themselves as a result of that. Um, and then from that point, when we've, when we've extracted the belief systems and what they've what kind of um, narrative they've told themselves around that, then we do something called the meta model of reframing beliefs, which is about flipping them inside out, choosing to understand how it served you, choosing to understand how it's no longer serving you and choosing another way of looking at this thing. So um, it's basically, yeah, just it's a system for reframing beliefs, which is really powerful. I also go a lot into helping people understand what their suppression strategies are. Um, so this can be food, exercise, alcohol, um, relationships, sex, like anything um, that kind of draws you away from the emotions. And there's many ways that we do that, like, yeah, numbing, distraction, being too busy, um, being strong, uh, like spiritual bypassing, um, all these different methods of actually not dealing with what's really going on. Because a lot of the time our issues with our food and body have got nothing to do with food and body. It's got to do with uh, an avoidance of something deeper. So understanding what, what's being avoided and um, drawing attention to that, understanding what the suppression strategies are and building a, a, like a tool set as to how to actually deal with the, the core issues is really fundamental as well. So, yeah, I've got like a huge big toolkit of like all these little bits and pieces that I do, but I think the, the most um, fundamental piece is connecting women to that, that identity and working on an identity level, not just like behavioural and not even just like thoughts and emotions, more so even further up that line because, yeah, it just takes care of itself. When you shift an identity, you should, everything else just trickles down and it's it's effortless. Yeah, that's amazing. I am um, actually looking at doing NLP in the next form, not this, mm. this year, maybe next year once I've got some more free time. But, yeah, I would love to love to do it. I think it's so it's really cool. Human behaviour is just so intriguing to me and why we do the things we do and, and what's the story behind it is so interesting. So I love that your program includes so much brain work, like so yeah. much work internally and internal healing, you know, it's just so important overall. So that's really cool. Um, so you are coaching all of these women, as you've just said, through their limiting beliefs and body image issues. And mm -hmm. you've overcome both of these yourself. Mm -hmm. I know that we're all a work in progress. And you're obviously at a point now where, you know, you're at the higher end of, of your inner self and you, you know who you are, you know what you're doing, you know what you want from life. 
but what does health look like for you? How do you define health now? Oh, so different to what I used to think was health, which was like nowhere near health. Um, I guess for me, it is, again, like we spoke about before, it's like having the ability to show up as uh, my most authentic self. Um, and that is somebody who um, operates in alignment with my core values, who like, like takes care of myself on every level. And that's not just like my body. That's also my mental health. That's my relationships, um, you know, all of it on every single level. Um, it's a connection to my spirituality. So once I started, I guess, connecting to that, that opened up a whole different level for me. Um, and yeah, it, it, that really helped me detach from my physical body as being, you know, the most important thing is understanding like how much of a, like a, an expansive soul I am and, and how much of a beautiful human I am um, as opposed to just what I look like and how people can admire me through, you know, my physical body. So I guess, yeah, my daily habits are really strong. I journal, I meditate, I move every day and that could look vastly different. That could be a walk, that could be a CrossFit session. Um, I'm really intuitive and checking in as to what I need. Like if I had CrossFit plan and I wake up and body says, no, I do not go. I just do not do it. There's nothing that I'm forcing myself into these days. When it comes to my food, I have like, yeah, like I spoke about before, I have foundational nutritional habits that are non-negotiable for me. I must eat a certain amount of vegetables every day and protein to keep my body functioning really well and to recover. It's not, and that doesn't come from a place of forcing. That is just like acts of self-love. But then I integrate as much pleasure as I can within that as well and flexibility to ensure that I'm not um, dipping into any extremes and that, you know, I'm, I'm getting all the, the beautiful pleasure I can out of food because it's such, such a joy. <laughs> um, yeah, and just like rest and recovery, big for me, making sure that I'm, um, you know, spending enough time recharging that I am outputting because, yeah, a lot of women in the fitness industry are very much in their masculine energy, always grinding, always working, always hustling, and it just burns out. So um, a big piece for me has been connecting deeply to my feminine energy, which is all about receiving and relaxing and being in flow and, and allowing for creativity to come through. So, yeah, that's a very, very long-winded answer to what health looks like, but I guess it's so multifaceted for me these days and it looks different every single day. Yeah, that's so important, I think. And I like that it's, you know, a holistic approach. Like there's so so many different elements that you integrate to what health is because maybe a decade ago it would have looked like, oh, it's, it's just the gym and eating fish and broccoli and that's how it feels like. For me, I know I had that ingrained for me a couple of years ago. You know, I was on that fish and broccoli Mm. my wedding and I was training six to nine times a week and I was running myself mm. to the ground and was I happy externally yes internally no no and I never want to feel like that again and mm. I think that the more that we can encourage women to go inward on their health go inward on their mindset go inward on all these elements so that they can figure out what works for them and health doesn't look just one way that doesn't make you healthy. You can be, you know, a size 16 and be way more healthier than a size eight girl. That's it. Yeah. You've just got to work out what's healthy to us and go with that. And that's how you live your life. Absolutely. I think everyone, um, you know, just because you want to be size eight doesn't mean that you're meant to be a size eight. And the more you try and force your body there, like you're moving so far away from what healthy is. Like body diversity is a survival mechanism of the human race. It's just the way that we're built with, we're all different. You know, obviously there's extreme ends of that, which are undeniably unhealthy, anorexia, obesity, all this stuff. Like I'm not going to, I won't touch on that because like I think it's pretty obvious. Um, but I mean, just because you decide you want to look like someone that you've seen on Instagram, it doesn't mean that that's, that's where you should go. You need to detach from that. Uh, yeah. So 
So that, I think that's the one thing that women need to really come home to is uh, like loving, being the best version of like being as close to their natural weight as possible and being the best version of, of that, not necessarily trying to achieve an externally appealing like aesthetic that they've kind of, you know, picked up somewhere and, and decided that that's what they want to look like because it's yeah. just, yeah. And I think we need to be mindful of what we're exposing ourselves to. And, you know, yeah. social media is such a big part of that now. And if we're following accounts to motivate us and inspire us, and they're, they're these beautiful women that, you know, mm. these bodies and these um, images that we were, that we aren't, but we wish we were, and then we're exposing ourselves mm. to that many times a day or hours a day, I think that we need to just reflect on that and go, well, is this making me feel good? Is this actually making me feel better yeah. and loved? Or is this making me feel like shit and I need to stop? following these accounts because some, some yeah. are going to do a bit of a cull. Well, exactly. Like um, our mental diet is so impactful with the way we see the world. You become habituated to what you become exposed to. So if you're constantly seeing images of ripped bodies, that becomes normalised to you. Therefore, you're comparing yourself and going like, I'm abnormal. I cull, I don't follow any fitness. I follow my friends who are in the industry because I support them. But I am, there's nothing someone out there that can do that's going to inspire me in that field. I, I follow like people who are really good at educating. I follow like heaps of weird meme pages. I follow lots of spiritual pages and my friends. Like I just, I no longer expose myself to people who, um, trigger a comparison thing inside me because it's natural it's natural for the, the human brain to make a comparison because that's how we're wired is to relate to the world through ourselves so if you're choosing to expose yourself to that you're also choosing to feel like shit i just choose not to feel like shit anymore <laughs> i love that that's so mm. cool ashley thank you so so much for joining me today yes. and thank so you. my voice through this episode it's been a little mm. bit croaky but we got through so thank you my pleasure thank you for having me listening to today's episode of Inside Out. I really want to grow in this space and make sure these stories and experiences are heard. If this episode resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. Please leave me a review and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss our next conversation. Please also join me on Instagram and let me know what you thought about this episode at Inside Out with Chris. I can't wait to share more with you really soon.